Hello, and welcome to In Session, a podcast where we speak with changemakers working towards safe, supportive learning environments within their communities. Our guests include state and local education agencies and their partners, all grant recipients from the Department of Education, using their funding to advance school-based mental health services, support mental health service professionals, and establish trauma recovery and prevention programs. On this episode of In Session, we talk to mental health service professional grant recipients about what it means to partner strategically and effectively. Our guests include Greg Hickey, licensed professional counselor and mental health specialist with Region 15 Education Service Center in Texas. Greg is joined by Leslie Casares, educational specialist for counseling and mental health, and Carol Stevens, education specialist and project director of the grant program. We also welcome Heather Ormiston, PhD, a nationally certified school psychologist and health service provider in psychology, and the director of the school-based mental health research and training initiative at Indiana University Bloomington. Heather is joined by Jennifer Anderson, the co-project investigator of the grant and director of student services for the Richard Bean Blossom Community School Corporation. This episode is facilitated by Elizabeth Shagnon, a technical assistant specialist at Nestle. I'm Elizabeth Shagnon. I am a technical assistant specialist at the Nestle Center, and I am excited to be in conversation with some of our grantees that we support to talk about partnerships. So I'd love for the folks that are on the podcast today to introduce themselves, and then we'll get into our conversation. So if we could start with Greg and and your folks. Sure. So my name is Greg Hickey, and I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I am the mental health specialist at Education Service Center Region 15 here in San Angelo, Texas, where we cover about 45 school districts across a pretty large footprint in West Central Texas. And I'm joined by uh, two of our fellow grant staff, and I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Carol Stevens. I am the Education Specialist for Counselors here at the Service Center, and I'm also the Project Director for the Demonstration Grant. And I'm Leslie Cotteres, and I am in transition into the Service Center. I recently left Angelo State University, where I was the program coordinator overseeing the candidates who were coming through the program to earn their school counseling certification and their master's degrees. Um, I'm Jen Anderson, Director of uh, Student Services for Richland Bean Blossom Community School Corporation and helped co-write the mental health demonstration grant with Dr. Ormiston through IU. And I am Heather Ormiston. I'm a faculty member at Indiana University Bloomington in the School Psychology Program. I'm a licensed psychologist and also director of the School-Based Mental Health Research and Training Initiative. And as Jen mentioned, I am a co-director of the demonstration grant. Thank you. Thank you so much for introducing yourselves. So we're going to jump right in to the hard hitting questions, I guess. So what do you bring to the table that makes you feel that you are a good partner? And we can go ahead and start with uh, our folks in Texas. Awesome. Happy to kick us off. So working for a region center, you kind of have, I think, a 10,000 foot view of some of the mental health issues that we see 
in our schools. And one of the things that the Regent Center noticed back when we started this grant was that first and foremost, in order to address some of those mental health needs, you need to have an adequate number of mental health professionals and counseling staff in those schools. And so we were noticing that our student to counselor ratios across the region were as high as one counselor for every 500 students when the recommended is 250, 250 students to one counselor. And so that's kind of what drove this grant was that 10,000 foot view, recognizing that we had this need across the region. But we also have a wide reach. And so when we do things like mental health trainings, when we do counselor support through our specialists here, we can reach a lot of educators at one time, not just those who are served by our grant, but all of those across our region. So I think that really kind of plays into that that federal grant mantra that we want to supplement each other's work without supplanting. So the ESC certainly has its role to play in partnership with Angelo State University, who has done nothing short of produce just amazing counselors via the program that we partner with there. And then, of course, we have the role that the districts play in identifying those teachers who want to become counselors in their district. So we find that as a partner, we are able to work in tandem really well with, with all of our partners, and we enjoy having that 10,000-foot view. This is Carol also uh, from Texas. I think another area that, that is important too is that with those counselors and their feet on the ground in the, in the schools, that there's been a move towards more leaving some of the administrative duties and moving more into the actual mental health counseling with those students. And with that, a lot of counselors that are on the ground that have been counselors a long time were not in that position, they aren't licensed professional counselors, and maybe it had been a while since they've been in school uh, to learn some of the techniques or even to practice those techniques. And so with bringing Greg on as our licensed professional counselor for our help grant, it was a big plus for us to bring that to the table and try and help increase those skills for those counselors that were on the ground already in the districts, as well as support the new ones coming on through the grant. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you were able to partner together to do some kind of leveling to get everyone on the same page without necessarily losing mental health providers that were already in place. Absolutely. Very cool. What about our folks in Indiana? Sure, I can start. And I actually want to contextualize us a little bit because Jen and I work in a very different capacity than what Greg and his team are doing because we are just one district about 2,700 students. And so I think, Greg, earlier you had mentioned working with 45 districts or something like that. We're just one. And um, we're, you know, working with school psychologists instead of school counselors. So I think it's good to kind of contextualize that a bit. I think in terms of the making the good partnership, I think one of the things that is so beneficial between the work that IU is doing with RVB is the fact that we're bringing together folks that have really different, their own lenses of expertise to, that they're bringing to the table. So Jen has a lot of background as a special educator, working as a teacher, as a district, as a school administrator, a district administrator. And I have a little bit of school-based experience, but I've been you know, in the academic arena for a long time. And I think I can kind of bring some of that knowledge, whereas Jen's really, you know, living the school-based experience day to day and knowing, you know, just the kind of that environment and the dynamic that 
the challenges of working with school-based practice. One of the other things I think that the partnership, at least from the school psychology standpoint that we bring from IU is that within our state, again, to contextualize it a little bit, within our state, the traditional role of school psychologists is very much in that special education identification model, whereas school psychologists are so broadly trained to engage and you know, direct school-based mental health services to engage in database decision-making and things like that. And we have psychs that definitely do that, but a lot of the time that school psychologists spend in schools, traditionally, it's, it's changing a little bit, is predominantly that assessment identification role. And so I think what's really cool about the work that we're doing is that we, we like Greg was talking about, we were able to really bring that ratio down to within the district through hiring of school psychologists, but then we're also engaging in the training of our school psychology students too, by placing them directly in the district to utilize that wide NASP, the school psychology practice model that we're trained to do. This is Jen speaking from the school side of the partnership. Heather is exactly right. The traditional role of a school psychologist has been assess, 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 wash your hands and goodbye. So this is a, a new lens for us. And what makes this so successful is that we have the incredible support of our superintendent and our administrators. Having the administrators in each building and having the superintendent on board to support us in understanding, especially with this particular grant, and understanding that the success of the whole child, our student, is not just academics. It is built on behavior, their social emotional status, any anything beyond just what is traditionally academic. So having the ability to understand that this these school psychologists in training or the school psychologist that has been hired or the two that have been hired to work in the grant for the school corporation, understanding the role, the broad spectrum of a role that they play and how what they're doing to implement the different practices affects positively our students and in turn has positive outcomes for them academically. Even though we're addressing social emotional, we're addressing behavioral, we're looking at a really broad spectrum having that support, knowing that this is critical, this is the, this is the area we were missing, we can support academically easy. That's, that's something that schools have done for a long time. We get really good at it. But this other side, which tends to inhibit our students from making the progress that they need, this grant has brought that other side that we always knew we needed, but we didn't know how to define it. We didn't know how to clarify it. We didn't know how to implement it. So this partnership is critical to the success of our students, but it's also critical in that Heather and I working together ha have a very open relationship and we have, and, and we did know each other prior to this, but we bounce idea. Last night we were, for example, we were on text messaging back and forth about one particular issue, but we were brainstorming. Why do you think this is? How can we help? What can we do to support on the IU side? What can we do to support in the school side under the same issue? So having the ability to work with someone who is open and someone who understands a school role and then vice versa is, is, is huge, but the most critical component for the school side is the support of the superintendent, the administrators, and the community. Our school board and the community are incredibly supportive of this to the point that our community foundation actually gave us an additional grant to implement some of the social emotional supports that have kind of stemmed out of this. So it's it, the expansive reaches is, is hopefully keep on keeping on. <laughs> so.
Yeah, I'm really struck by what you are saying about really trusting and believing each other's perspectives and valuing it as an essential component of this partnership. And it's also making me think about how these partnerships become true collaborative relationships. Because sometimes there's a partnership where you know, you sign maybe a memorandum of agreement and how do you move from, this is like a contractual almost partnership to one where you actually call each other up or text each other or bounce things off of each other. So I wonder if you all could speak to that um, as well as folks in Texas as well. I can, I can speak to that a little bit, you know, talking about those partnerships, you know, there are those that you kind of have that, that memorandum of understanding with where we all have that agreement, you know, our key partners would be, of course, Angelo State University and the school districts that we work with, but you also find yourself, you know, in some kind of informal partnerships, especially when you're trying to meet the, need, the mental health needs of students in your districts. And one that we kind of brought on board that was really, really helpful, I mean, this was a little more formalized, I think, in a memorandum, if I'm not mistaken, was the AmeriCorps VISTA program, because we kind of recognized, you know, not a single one of us here are statisticians. We went into education and mental health for a reason and didn't, didn't focus too heavily on how to gather and make meaning out of data. So with AmeriCorps VISTA, you can kind of put out there exactly what you are looking for in a VISTA. And we needed somebody with a strong data background. And so we we brought an AmeriCorps VISTA member on board to help get us started gathering meaningful data and measuring our impact. And so you kind of define what additional partnerships you need as you go. And then you got, you know, out here in rural America, some informal partnerships with those agencies that you know provide mental health services to students. And I, I strongly believe that we really need on-site psychotherapy, telepsychiatry services where we can get it in the schools to address student needs. And so we have begun, you know, kind of these informal partnerships with, say, the Texas Child Health Access through telemedicine programs, this miraculous program that provides free telepsychiatry and telecounseling to students on Texas campuses. And so spreading the word about that, knowing who your community agencies are that serve those students and families and also your staff members that need mental health treatment. So making sure that we know who they are, that we have conversations with them, that we have staff who are going out to local coalition meetings to attend those meetings and get to know who your mental health key players are in the community that you can connect with to get those services to students. Yeah, so I'm hearing who are we sharing kind of touch points with, and if our main touch points are our community and our students and the teachers, if there's other services that are already beginning to work with that population, how can you enhance their connection to that population? I'm also wondering, you know, you said making sure that people are at these meetings, these, I think you said regional meetings. So there's also that relational component of being visible, being present, listening, and really being part of the community in that way. And how has that been bringing your partners along with you into those spaces as well? Because you're, are you bringing the university partners into those conversations? 
Well, right now, I've been kind of dipping my toe in some of the coalition meetings and just, you know, having been in community mental health myself in this community for a little over a decade, I've known some of these partners. And so while we haven't yet brought Angelo State University staff to some of these meetings, I certainly am there trying to represent the ESC and, you know, some of the mental health related coalition meetings that we have, like the Suicide Prevention Coalition meeting that we have here gets hosted monthly by one of our one of our service agencies among several others and so we still have partners to bring on board to those meetings but we're trying to dip our toe in it trying to stay connected keeping our finger on the the mental health pulse in our in our community as best we can and this is carol again we also in our cohorts our students that are going through angelo state to become counselors in those districts we're making them aware of coalition meetings and coalitions that are in their communities. Uh, since we do cover, you know, 25,000 square miles, it's not just our big cities. And so we're trying to make them aware of that as well and try to get their connections in those areas as well. So it's not just our staff mm. here at the ESC, but also those individuals that are have their feet on the ground and that are, that are in the program. Yeah, and one of those that comes to mind for me are things like community resource coordination groups, where in all of these counties that we serve, they are covered by a group of professionals that come together and staff sometimes individual student and family cases whenever they're having a hard time getting through some of the barriers to access for, for mental health care and social services. So making sure that counselors that we work with are aware of those coordination meetings, they can take part in that. They can get students and their families the services they need whenever they hit a brick wall, which unfortunately very often happens. Texas is, I think, 50th in the nation in terms of mental health spending in particular. I'm going to guess that we don't rank very high in social services spending as well. So you do run up against those barriers. And it's good to know that at least there's a group of people who are able to come together and say, okay, where can we fill in the gaps for this family? So having counselors aware of those resources is a big priority of ours. This is Leslie. And one other thing that we did pretty frequently with our cohorts was meet as a group. So us here in this room and then all of the cohorts would meet at least monthly via Zoom. We couldn't always meet face to face just because of our locations and being so spread out, but having those groups come together and even the students could provide the resources for each other that they've come across in addition to the ones that we might have come up with or things that Greg has found. So for them to be able to find things in their own communities and then share them with each other was also very helpful for the students. This is kind of speaking to a question that I had in my mind, which was, as you're developing these relationships in communities, what happens if you leave that community? And it sounds like what you're doing is you're connecting the providers to the community while they're still in training at an early stage. So it's helping build those relationships beyond just you. So you're not the keystone of the relationship, which is critical for sustainability. Absolutely. And this is Heather. I would say that's a really important piece is to make sure that you're building the system and that the system isn't dependent on the people. And I think when you are really trying to incorporate again from, you know, just the school district level, I think when you're really trying to incorporate these components into the educational 
day-to-day for students and for staff, I think it's really important that it becomes really integrated into the work that everybody's doing so that if if somebody leaves or if a community partner, I know that the school district has worked with developing some community partners in our area as well. If those folks leave, we still have a way to provide those services, even if the individuals themselves aren't there anymore. Yeah, this is Jen. We actually have already gone through this once. I I took a little 10-month absence for a time last year, and the system that we had developed was transferred right over to the the next individual who who took my place. And it was critical that, you know, everything is laid out in a multi-tiered system of supports, and that's part of our grant is to develop that MTSS structure and model and framework. That's something that the corporation is now taking on and is, is looking at those structures, who does what, who's in contact, when you're in contact, how often. We partner with um, adult and child for some licensed clinical social worker services for some of those highly intense needs who have access then to some of the psychiatric services who can refer on to some psychiatric services if a student needs or has those family resources. We've been able to put in place a family resource provider that that also has been doing some work with grants. So we brought her in on board. So she's familiar with, you know, on an outside view, what we're doing. So she knows what resources to go to, who to speak with in order to further support our students. And those systems are critical because if we didn't have those systems in place as often happens in education, you start something and then everybody becomes complacent and it kind of kind of fades off sometimes. So in in the large scope of sustainability, having that MTSS structure in place really helps solidify and keep those partners abreast of what's going on and keep the school and the community in in that engaged status and making sure that they're aware of what we're doing and then we're aware of all of the resources that they can provide. This is Heather again. I think, Jen, too, to your point of sustainability, I think it's critical to have those structures and systems in place from a sustainability standpoint so that when grant funds are unfortunately no longer here, it just has become a part of the integrative system of just the way that things operate so that we can continue the work post-grant as well. And I imagine, you know, that structure helps ensure that everyone knows what their job is as well. So when people leave, they're still clear on like my role as a partner or as a practitioner in the school is to provide that intensive services, or my role is to make sure that there's a continuation of universal supports at the school level. That's one of the ways that the MTSS framework helps to support sustainability is that everyone knows what their job is. And I think to that point too, MTSS also gives us kind of a common language to address what our training needs are. So when you're coming in and you're doing training for counselors on mental health issues, you start general, you start with your your tier one, But as we have moved through the grant, we have kind of had to shift our focus to more tier two and tier three interventions with those smaller groups and individual students who are struggling. So they've been able to say, you know, these are the tier three interventions I am interested in. You know, how can we bring a trainer in or how can you do training on this very specific intervention that I want that kind of fits in with this MTSS model? So I really love the MTSS model for that purpose, too, is it just gives us a common language and we all know what we mean when we're talking about those students who need those tier three services. Uh, Yes. Thank you, Greg. That's, you nailed it. 
<laughs> yeah. And I imagine that that MTSS framework really also helps with communicating with partners so that they understand where they fit into everything, enhances the work you're able to do together as partners. Obviously, we have on the call your university partners. And I've heard mention of AmeriCorps Vista, I think it was. I'm wondering if there's other mental health partnerships or key partnerships in addressing mental health in schools. I wonder what else hasn't been part of this conversation yet. This is Jen. We have, I, I mentioned, but we have a, a good partnership with Adult and Child, which is a a mental health community or a mental health organization that works in schools. Um, it's very unique in that the schools don't pay anything for this partnership. We just have to provide a space for the licensed clinical social worker and then a skill specialist to work. So for a school, it's, it's you know, win-win. We just, you know, have to provide a space. So that has been extremely helpful, especially with a lot of the tier three really intensive students who we know may need more wraparound services. We do have our partnerships with other mental health service providers in the area, but not to the extent in our school that we are with adult and child. We have started to really kind of dip our toes, as Greg said, kind of into our community. It hasn't really been explored a lot. We knew we had your center stone, which is like just a, a another adult and child place. We know we had Ireland home based services, those typical ones that are referred out from physicians. But we're finding that even smaller community resources, our SROs, our, our school resource officers, are huge benefits to our SEL program and our mental health team, and that they're able to help us build that relationship with the police department, that they are here to support us and help the students who are here know that you know, the police officers are there to support them. They're not just the ones that come to the house in times of not so good good times. But we're trying to foster a stronger relationship with DCS. They are going through their own things at the state level, but we are trying to make that more of a partnership and not so much a, we're calling DCS if something doesn't happen. You know, what resources do they have? Maybe they have a specialist that we can help utilize. You know, maybe there's somebody, I know our Bloomington Police Force, they have a social worker on site. And we've really tapped into that resource as instead of sending maybe an SRO out, like, hey, can your social worker maybe pick up some of this outside check-ins to make sure that kids are safe, make sure we know where they are, that they're getting the support, they have housing. So we're really trying to be creative and, and really find out what is around our area at the beginning stages, really, that community is kind of at our beginning stages. We had to get our structures in place here in the building and, and with our own school community to figure out exactly what you said, Greg, what do we even know? What do we need? You know, what kind of training, what kind of PD, what type of what type of outside resources do we need to try to find in order to better support our schools and our communities within the schools? Yeah. And and to that end, I can't emphasize enough. If you are in a, a rural or even an urban setting, sometimes you have partnerships that are a little more loosely formed, as in you've just got the, the director of that program, like in your cell phone, you've met with them, maybe you've gone to lunch with them. You know, we we sometimes get so caught up in our in our email inbox that we forget to pick up the phone sometimes and say, hey, what are you what are you doing out there? And we've got here locally a, a counseling agency that actually has a what they are calling a zero suicide initiative. And what they do as a part of that is they have grant state and federal grant funding to have a therapist on standby to handle child and adult crises. So what has wound up happening is several of our school districts have listed them 
as part of their crisis plan, an alternative to hospitalization. Because out here in rural Texas, if a kid comes to you and says they are suicidal, 90% of the time previously, it would involve a call to law enforcement and off to the hospital they go. And that just isn't sustainable in terms of mental health care. So to have a counseling agency and know their executive director and have routine conversations with them about, hey, how can we get kids in to those emergency counseling appointments to prevent them from going to the hospital has been very helpful for some of our districts. Or likewise, our Texas Child Health Access through telemedicine program, they too can also help with the with the suicide outcries and making sure that, you know, we keep kids at home receiving treatment on an outpatient basis, sleeping in their bed, eating dinner with their families. And so just having some of those looser partnerships where, yeah, we don't have a signed memorandum, but we talk routinely. We show up to the same community meetings. We know what everybody does and what role they play is very helpful. I'm almost hearing like this tiering of the partnerships too, right? So you found there's like the needs to go to the hospital intensity of response. And then you found that there's somewhere between that targeted support and that intensive needs hospital support. And you found something to kind of fill that gap to actually meet people where they are. Because we know that sometimes suicidality doesn't always mean it needs to be a hospital right now. And that there could be a different crisis response first to further assess what that person needs. So we're coming to kind of the close of our time. And so the last question we had is if, if there's something that you have taken away from listening to our other panelists speak, so we can explore that question a little bit to close out our time together. You know, Jennifer's discussion about serving the whole child, you know, just kind of reminded me of something that we had talked about prior to coming to the meeting today. Our our staff are discussing kind of the difference between partners and stakeholders. And so you've got your partners, you know, we have Angelo State University, we have our districts, we have those loosely formed partnerships that I had spoken about earlier, but you never want to forget your stakeholders because those are often different people. And what I thought about when Jennifer was talking were our end users of what we do as an ESC, as an education service center, we are in the business of training adults, but we have to remember who the end user is. And those are the students and families that our counselors are serving. And to me, I think that really drives our, our work as a partnership. We want to recruit, train, and retain counselors to drop that counselor ratio because we have students who are not getting what they need from their school counselor, not because they are not amazing at their jobs, because they are. We have the best in the world, in my opinion, but because they just don't have the time and the space to serve every student that they can. So that was kind of helpful hearing from Jennifer, again, just that whole child perspective. We need to make sure that we are showing up for our stakeholders, not just our partners. And Greg, I think when you just spoke about those relationships with some of your partners that that aren't you know laid out in a nice you know a nice model and and that sometimes it's just kind of the person on the phone that you know you can call that reminded me of something that we had going with our police department we would have it's called it was a systems of care notification we don't know what it is we don't know what happened but we would just receive a notification that hey this family had something go on and just 
take a little more extra care with the student today. We didn't need to know what it was. We had no idea what it was. It wasn't our business. But just having that understanding of, hey, something else is going on and being told that we just might want to just watch out and make sure that they're okay, again, isn't a put down on paper, we're going to do this, 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 check the box to make sure they're okay, but just an awareness between the community and the school. And I think that in and of itself, it doesn't always have to be formalized. And that's something I need to kind of keep in the back of my head, that even just those touching bases with some of our partners and some of our individuals who who can provide some service is just as important as having a formalized agreement, probably more important, quite frankly. This is Heather. I think it's really interesting for me to think about the folks in Texas and how many districts they work with, because like I said at the beginning, we're just one district, you know, in one location, but it's, it's so powerful that, you know, the students that we're training, we could train them to be excellent, well-rounded school psychologists that have all this experience with the different domains of practice we're able to engage in. But if ultimately the districts where those students are working are not giving them space to engage in that work, then we're still ultimately limiting the, as Greg had mentioned, kind of that end user. We're limiting the impact that we're really having on our students and families. And so it just makes me think about just a broader perspective of, you know, the policy implications and how we're really engaging in the practice and what we're doing and needing to shift, at least within our state, away from kind of that more traditional model of special education identification, but shifting it to a broader scope of practice. And what can we do as part of this to kind of help move that shift forward? Well, I really thank all of you for taking the time to talk to us about your experiences as partners with each other and also other partnerships that you have. Some of the themes that I heard a lot of were that these partnerships do happen in systems and that it's an intricate web that you can kind of map those formal and informal partnerships, but they are what makes it a community and what makes it all so that you, if you're not including each other, it doesn't always work. So you're bringing in the different parts of the community to make sure that you are connected to them. And I love the intentionality behind that and the thoughtfulness behind it. So I hope that the folks who get the chance to listen to this podcast, that it sparks for them some questions about who are those connections in our community that we might be missing and how can we leverage existing relationships to make those connections or strengthen those connections. In Session is brought to you by the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments, or NESLI, at the American Institutes for Research. This podcast is funded by the U.S. Department of Education. If you'd like to learn more about NESLI, visit safesupportivelearning.ed.gov. For all questions or feedback, you can email us at nestle at AIR.org. Thanks for listening. Please note, the contents of this podcast do not necessarily represent the policy or views of the U.S. Department of Education, nor does it imply endorsement by the U.S. Department of Education.